the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. When an elder is clear headed as he should be, temperate, sober, He'll see things clearly as they really are. Do you see the point? If you're not clear-headed, you're going to have a distorted view of spiritual reality. Just as a man who drinks wine to its extreme and gets things distorted and out of reality, so a man who isn't temperate in his life will distort spiritual reality, and it could be devastating to a church. How devastating could it be? In 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to just share with you some verses that God has in His Word that mention this term, temperate. They may be translated differently, but it's the same Greek word. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter writes this, Be of sober spirit. That word sober means temperate. Be wineless. Now he's talking in your spirit. Now he's not talking about drinking wine, metaphorically. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. An elder needs to be sober-minded to withstand Satan. Verse by verse, our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, will continue to walk us through God's standards for church leadership. Specifically, we're going to look at three areas of the mental qualifications or standards for leadership. Number one, the leader or the pastor must be temperate, vigilant, sober-minded. Paul is referring to mental and spiritual sobriety and behavior. Paul is saying an elder must be clear-minded, not given to extremes. We could say he is a balanced man. And that sounds like something that is good for all of us as well, right? So, as we continue studying about godly leadership, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, as Pastor Steve Kreloff is ready to jump into today's broadcast. And 1 Timothy chapter 3 is like Titus chapter 1, in that Paul lays out the qualities that a leader ought to have. Now, I think they have two different purposes. I think, as we've said, that Titus is dealing primarily with appointing elders. That's his job on the island of Crete. But Timothy's job is to help evaluate, and the church to evaluate the men they already had. And we've gone over this in the past. They had elders for about 10 to 13 years before Timothy came on the scene. And so the purpose of 1 Timothy 3 is not so much to appoint men, though I think that's a secondary purpose as they would look for new leaders, but to evaluate the men who were already there, who in many cases were just blowing it. And that's the problem that we find at Ephesus where Timothy has been planted by Paul. In the first verse, he says this, it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Basically, that is the significance of leadership. It is a fine work. It is an excellent work. It is a noble work. And the early church
church recognized it, and that's why Paul says it is a trustworthy statement. In other words, it is one that the church endorses, a creedal-type statement. But from verses 2 through 7, he gives the standards for being a leader. And that's what we've been focusing on, the standards. And I believe there's only one standard. I believe there's only one qualification, and that is found in verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach. One standard, above reproach. All the other things are categories of areas in which the man must be above reproach. Above reproach means that there is no accusation that anyone can lay hold of that will stick. Leaders are accused of all kinds of things, but there is no valid accusation that anyone can say and it will stick. He must be above reproach. There's no one sin in his life that someone can look at. It's obvious to everyone they can point at and say, this man shouldn't serve. He is to be above reproach. And then Paul begins to give us the different areas in which he must be above reproach. Last week, we looked at the first one, and that is the husband of one wife. That is the marital life. That is that he is to be a one-woman kind of man. He is to be committed to his wife. He is to be madly in love with his wife. He is not to be interested in any other woman. He is not to have intentions with other women. A leader must be above reproach in his marital life. There is a purity there. He is devoted to one woman. That is the meaning of this. But tonight, we want to look at another area that's not quite as controversial as the husband of one wife, which we dealt with last week, and it's one that we tend to overlook. I think there are a few controversial areas that people tend to focus on, and they overlook the others. But in God's eyes, these are just as important, and that is the mental qualifications. Now, this doesn't mean he has to go to Bible school, or he has to go to seminary, but there are certain mental qualifications, not so much intelligence, but a godly Mind, a clear mind, a sober mind. So let's look at that. Tonight, very briefly, we're going to look at three areas of the mental qualifications or standards for leadership. Number one, Paul says in verse two, he must be temperate. That's how my version, the New American Standard, translates this, temperate. The authorized version translates this word vigilant. And sometimes this word is translated as sober. Literally, the Greek word means wineless. It means without wine. That's the literal meaning. Abstaining from wine entirely. It is unlikely, though, that Paul is using this phrase in its literal sense. And I'll tell you why. Because if you look at verse 3, he will deal with that. Verse 3, not addicted to wine. It is unlikely that in verse 2, he's going to say the same thing that he will say in verse 3. No, I take it that Paul is using this term in a metaphorical sense. That is, he's referring to mental and spiritual sobriety and behavior. That's the point here. And the thought is this, an elder must be clear-minded. That's a good word, clear-minded. That is, he's not given to extremes. He's temperate. He's not given to extremes. He is a balanced man. Something that is missing in the ministry is balance. He looks both ways in his judgments. He's not rash. He's not an extremist. He is a stable man, one who thinks clearly and isn't given to extremes in his life. Now, this is very important for a man in the ministry. Very important, whether you have the position that I do of in the pulpit each week, or whether you are one who works behind the scenes, but in leadership in the church. One of the keys to an effective ministry is balance, to know where to draw the line so that you don't go off on tangents. There are so many men in the ministry that go off on things. They are majoring on minors, and they get carried away, and they go overboard on one thing to the neglect of the other. 
You see, an elder is also an overseer, which in a sense is picturesque of one climbing up on a ladder who oversees the work of the ministry. I find that there are a lot of men who can only see their area of ministry, can only see the one thing that they are involved in, and they lack the vision, and they lack the insight and the temperate mind to look over everything and have a clear view, clear-minded If you look at Titus chapter 2, you'll see some insight into this word. In Titus chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes to young Titus, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be, first of all, he says, temperate. That's the same word. You would expect an older man to have lived long enough not to be an extremist, right? He's seen it all. He's not going to go off on tangents. You hear older men saying, I've lived enough to know that experience teaches this, not to go off here, to be balanced, to wait, to observe. That's what Paul's saying. Maturity brings with it a temperate mind. He doesn't overreact to situations. One of the awkwardnesses of youth is that a youthful person tends to overreact. And that's just part of growing up. But an elder ought to be one who doesn't overreact as a characteristic of his life to situations. He needs to be alert or else he's going to find himself as an extremist, off track. Now, this temperate approach to life will keep him from making unwise decisions. He'll keep his head straight in all kinds of situations. And that's what God needs in leadership. His life is one of temperance, too. It's not just that he's clear headed because he doesn't take wine It's not just that at all. It's not just that he can make clear decisions in the pastoral area of life, but he doesn't overindulge in his life. In other words, he is clear-minded because he is one who does not overindulge in life. He's not an extremist, for instance, in his eating habits. He's not a glutton. Not a glutton. He doesn't go overboard in sports. He may like food. He may like sports, but he doesn't go overboard in those things. He keeps them in perspective. See, that's the great danger of having someone in the ministry who does not have balance. And they lead churches to be imbalanced. They get off on this doctrine. They get off on that. You want someone in leadership who's going to cut the word of God straight and going to lead in a path of righteousness without going to an extreme in one way or another. He stays clear-headed because he doesn't allow himself to overindulge in any area of life. He doesn't swing to the right. He doesn't swing to the left. He sticks with the priorities of the Word of God. Now, when an elder is clear-headed as he should be, temperate, sober, he'll see things clearly as they really are. Do you see the point? If you're not clear-headed, you're going to have a distorted view of spiritual reality. Just as a man who drinks wine to its extreme and gets things distorted and out of reality, so a man who isn't temperate in his life will distort spiritual reality, and it could be devastating to a church. How devastating could it be? In 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to just share with you some verses that God has in His Word that mention this term, temperate. They may be translated differently, but it's the same Greek word. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter writes this, be of sober spirit. That word sober means temperate. Be wineless. Now he's talking in your spirit. Now he's not talking about drinking wine, metaphorically. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. An elder needs to be sober-minded to withstand Satan. 
And if he overindulges in an area of life, he is not going to be spiritually alert. And if he is open to Satan, he's going to take the church right with him. Secondly, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul uses this word again. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. He says, For the time will come, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He needs to be sober-minded so as to withstand false teaching. He needs to be clear-headed. He's not to be an extremist, or else he will be open to false teaching. The implication is, and if he's open to false teaching, obviously he will drag the church along with him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read another time this word is used. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes to this church, So then let us not sleep as others, but let us be alert and sober. The word sober is the word temperate. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. A temperate man is one who needs to be sober-minded to withstand immoral darkness, to withstand the immoral day in which he lives, to just walk through life without dragging the church and himself down into the gutter. A Christian leader has to face life without going to extremes. That's what Paul is saying. So he is clear-minded as he faces the pressures and the decisions of the ministry. And that's God's standards for all of us. That is the standard that we all are to be balanced. We all are to be men and women who are temperate. There's another word that Paul uses, and this is the second of the mental qualifications or standards, and that is he is to be prudent. The King James Version translates this word as sober, and sometimes it gets a little confusing about temperate and prudent. And while the words are similar, I don't believe Paul is repeating himself. Obviously, he's just given one word, and now he gives another. There may be some connection, but they are different words, and they mean different things. The Greeks derive this word from two words, which mean to keep one's mind safe and sound. That is the literal rendering, to keep one's mind safe and sound. In other words, he's speaking of sound-mindedness, which is close to being clear-headed, but it's a little bit different. And I believe the word, after researching this out and looking at all the different translations and the meanings of this, I think the word that best reflects what the heart of this word is, as Paul is using it here, is sensible. He's to be sensible. He isn't rash, but he's cautious in his judgments. He has spiritual sensibility. An elder must be sensible, sane, must be reasonable. That's the thought here. Now, apparently, Paul wrote this to Timothy because there were elders at Ephesus who were not being sensible. They were accepting the nonsense of the false teachers at this church. A sensible man isn't swayed by false teaching. He doesn't hear something and say, oh, it sounds great to me. Yeah, let's go into it. No, he is sensible. He is cautious. He isn't rash and easily swayed by every new concept that comes down the pike. You know where this is illustrated well in Paul's usage of this word in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. 
This is how the man who has committed himself to the Lord by presenting his life as a living sacrifice, how he responds to self. He responds with humility because he has an honest evaluation of self. Look at verse 3. For through the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. I think there are four times that this word is used, the word prudent, the word sound, sensible. And the point that Paul is saying is he is to be sensible about himself. We are not to have an exalted view of ourselves. And Paul is saying, in essence, think sensibly about yourself. You may not be a great Bible teacher or a great evangelist. Have an honest evaluation of self. Think soundly and sanely about yourself. That's the meaning of this word. He has to be sensible. You see, this man's mind is disciplined, and that's part of the thought here. He is disciplined. He doesn't waste his mind on the wrong thoughts. Now, we all need help in that area, but an elder must be disciplined. He must be one who is disciplined in his mind to think properly. I think this word also carries with it the sense of seriousness. And I think you would find this if you read up on this word. There is a nuance of meaning here that this man has a soberness about him, a somberness in the sense of seriousness. That is not to say that an elder cannot have a sense of humor. That is not to say that he can't use humor properly, but it is to say that he must not be a clown. He must not be frivolous. He must be one who knows when to have fun and one who knows when to be serious. Michelle and I were recently with a group of pastors from other churches, and it just reminded me of how men of God need to be so careful. Frivolous, joking about things that I felt very uncomfortable to even hear. It seemed like one had to outdo the other, and if one said a joke, the other had to top him. Just evidences of real insecurity. God says a pastor, an elder, an overseer, a leader must not be like that. It's often true that young men in the ministry need to learn about seriousness. Young men in general need to learn that. And I think the older I get, the more serious I am in my daily life because I realize that the spiritual matters in heaven and hell no joking matter. Very, very serious. I've reached the point in my life where I deal with such serious eternal issues every day that when I come home and want to relax, I usually cannot turn on the television to watch a drama. My life is a drama. I have to watch, usually if I'm to relax, a comedy. Because I face these things every day in dealing with immorality in people's lives and divorce and people not walking with the Lord, and backsliddenness, and people rejecting the Lord, and people disobeying the Lord in areas, and I just have grown more serious about life. One recently asked me how old I think a man has to be before he can be an elder. And I said, well, we want to be careful because the Bible doesn't put a standard. The Bible doesn't put an age requirement. But it would seem to me that most men are not ready from the sense of seriousness until they're about age 30. Now, I'm not inflexible on that, but it just seems to me that when you reach about age 30, life takes on a more serious view. And so I think there's wisdom in that. So we've looked at two words that Paul gives for this mental aspect and standard. Temperate, he's to be prudent, and finally, he is to be respectable. 
Now, this doesn't mean that he just gets respect from people. And it doesn't mean that he wears a three-piece suit and everybody nods and says, doesn't he look nice? No, this word literally means orderly. Orderly, that's why sometimes it's translated dignified, because there is an orderliness to someone who looks dignified. But it really means orderly, not so much what he dresses like. Paul has already used this word to describe how women should adorn themselves. We looked at this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. The term proper there means orderly. It is the same word, respectable clothing. It is the Greek word kosmion, from which we get our term cosmos or world. And it means an orderly system. The opposite of cosmos, the opposite of this Greek word is chaos. Do you think of cosmos, orderly, systematic? The other is chaos. That's why we use cosmetics with that word, because cosmetics is that which arranges the things on our face. But cosmetics, orderliness, Orderly system. And the word means a life which is well-ordered, disciplined, unconfused. There is a well-orderedliness and arrangement in this person's life. An elder then must be one whose life is disciplined and well-organized. Homer Kent, in his excellent commentary on 1 Timothy, says this, and I found that just about everybody else quotes him, so I might as well quote him too. The ministry, he writes, is no place for the man whose life is a continual confusion of unaccomplished plans and unorganized activity. I think that's true. Let me read that again. The ministry is no place for the man whose life is a continual confusion of unaccomplished plans and unorganized activity. His life isn't cluttered with the wrong things. That doesn't mean he can't grow an organization. That doesn't mean he's perfect in this area, obviously. It just means that the man can concentrate on things. He's not going in 50 million directions at once. He doesn't know where he's going. That is not what Paul means by respectable. The leader's mind must be organized. He's one who isn't overwhelmed by the pressures of life and the ministry. And believe me, there are pressures of just the normal daily routines of just living, let alone the pressures of the ministry. You must be one who is orderly one who is organized, one who knows where he's going and where he's coming from, because he must lead people in that direction. And if he can't lead himself, then he can't lead anybody else. If he doesn't know where he's headed, then he's not going to be of much use to those who follow him. I was with a Christian leader recently who I deeply respect, and I said, how do you do it? You are involved in such ministry, such pressure and organization where you're in charge of people. How do you do it? You know what he said to me? He said, Steve, I thrive under pressure. He said, in fact, take me out of that pressure and I don't think I can do it. I thrive under pressure. Now there's a man who is respectable. There's a man who knows where he's going. There's a man who doesn't succumb to the pressures of the ministry. He knows his priorities, an elder must know his priorities, and his life isn't disconnected. You meet people like that. There are disconnected thoughts here, there, they don't know what to do first. But an elder must have the ability to concentrate on a task and work towards goals. That doesn't mean he has numerical goals. That doesn't mean he says, well, in five years I want to be here. I mean, he may do that, that's all right. But it does mean that he has goals in the sense where he knows where he's taking people. He knows where he's headed. He knows the path of righteousness that he's going and he wants people to follow them. No one can lead a flock if they can first lead themselves. 
So these are the mental qualifications. These are standards for us. We are to be temperate, not just the leaders, but the leaders are to be examples to you. We are to be prudent. We are to be clear-minded. We are to be sober-minded. We are not to be extremists. We are not to be rash. And we are to be respectable. We are to have spiritual priorities and know where we're going and be organized. We're not to be running around like a chicken with its head cut off. That's the mental qualifications. That's what God says all of us are to be. And I say this to you so that you might evaluate the men who lead you now. Because you have to hold them accountable. You have to hold me accountable to be everything that God has called us to be. We trust that you'll take heed to the Word of God. That if you don't know Christ, you might consider first knowing Him. You can't be a mature leader unless you first come as a child to Christ for salvation. But then I hope you'll take heed to this, that you might be everything God wants you to be. As we have gone through the last few verse-by-verse programs, Pastor Steve has used several words to help us understand some of the qualifications for church leaders. Today we added one more, and that is respectable. Pastor Steve said that could also mean orderly. Now, not an orderly, as in a hospital, but someone whose life is well-ordered, disciplined, unconfused. We are just about out of time on today's program, but I would like to remind you of the verse-by-verse podcast. The podcast is a great way to listen when your schedule doesn't allow you to tune in to this radio station, or you can also go back and listen again to one of the past programs so you can refresh your memory about a certain point Pastor Steve made. To sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast, please visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.